Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 in District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Thursday, January 2nd. 2020. Man, that's taking some practice. 2020 in the year 2020. But of course, you're listening to this anytime. It's a podcast. It could be the year 2025. It could be the year 2525. Oh, Whoa. my God. Oh, yeah. Get your head around that one. Yeah. <laughs> and marijuana is legal, so it'll help you get through it. Uh, all right. And my guest, as I always do, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself or herself, in this case, himself. Introduce yourself. Uh, trial lawyer and managing partner of Dwyer and Coogan, uh, Jim Coogan. And Jim Coogan, as everybody knows, is a regular guest on the Ben Jarofsky Show. We, uh, we've called this, How Is This Legal? That's the name of the What was that? Prison bars. Oh, okay. Uh, we should copyright that, Jim. How Is This Legal? Uh, and uh, with the slamming of the prison uh, bars. Um, so... Jim, some of these, I have these four names that I want to run past you, or three names, and uh, one of them uh, is new, and two are sort of ongoing themes, represent ongoing themes, uh, and the names are Alex Jones, William Barr, and Michael Horowitz. Uh, each represent a different segment of our legal system, uh, and uh, some of the problems and struggles within trying to make sense uh, for a layman to make sense of what is legal and what is not legal. Uh, let's start with Alex Jones before we go to William Barr. It's a, one of our favorite topics, William Barr and Michael Horowitz, um, who is the Inspector General uh, for the Justice Department. Let's start with Alex Jones, uh, the notorious talk show host and podcast host. Does he have a podcast, D? Is it a podcast, technically, or is it a radio show? Radio show. Uh, Alex Jones has been sued by uh, parents of children who were slaughtered at, in Sandy Hook back in 2012. Uh, and that case has been dragging on for quite a while. Um, and I share your mini obsession with this case and the legal issues it raises. And I'll just start by uh, repeating something that you said before we went on mic. Uh, I've spent my whole life as a journalist, and I'm very concerned about how bullies use libel law to intimidate journalists into silence. So I'm very cautious about using a libel as a tool to silence a dissent and silence legitimate discussion and debate. On the other hand, what Alex Jones did crossed all borders and standards, destroyed all standards of decency, uh, where he said, essentially promoted the view that there was no slaughter at Sandy Hook, that it was made up uh, by the deep state in order to get uh, motivate government into passing laws that would restrict uh, the right to bear arms. That essentially was his argument that he was using 
Uh, and uh, so let's break it down. Talk a little bit about the reaction, the lawsuit itself uh, that the parents filed. First of all, what a merry way to say Happy New Year than to be talking about <laughs> InfoWars yeah. and Alex Jones. That's correct. Yeah. Um, Alex Jones, he must have gone to the same gibberish school as um, what's the congressman from Georgia who's been railroading all these these debates. Um, I can see his face now with the glasses. Anyway, it, he's got an amazing ability to just say words and kind of run through crazy conspiracy. They, they just come off of his tongue as if it's like the most natural thing in the world. So... This was a perfect opportunity, the, one of the most high-profile mass shootings in American history, I mean, at this point. And I don't know if there's a way to compare the level of tragedy of them, but it certainly was something that so many people could uh, be moved by and were moved by. And uh, uh, we've kind of, I mean, a, the sad refrain after every mass shooting since and after mass shootings in general in this country from a political perspective is that things end up just going back to normal, that it's never enough to move the meter on uh, whether or not there will be any action from a legislative standpoint. But uh, Jones saw an opportunity here, in my opinion, to capitalize and use something of such a high profile and such wide renown to engage the paranoia of his audience because every single time there is some kind of news about a shooting or something that might spur any kind of legal action to regulate uh, gun safety in this country, it's used as a tool by him and by others of his ilk to gin up the paranoia, the fear of his followers that they're going to come take our guns. So that's exactly what he did. He turned to something that did not seem to anyone else, any rational person, to be debatable or questionable as to whether it happened, whether this is how it happened, whether Adam Lanza was the person who did it, or what weapon he used, or whether these were real people that were involved in this, and created this parallel universe of paranoia and um, conspiratorial nonsense to... To, to sell things on his on his airwaves. Yeah, and uh, to sell things on his airwaves uh, and make a healthy living uh, with his airwaves. And how did the parents react? Well, so what ended up, one of the things that happened here is because he's he was explicitly calling out individual people who had lost, of all things to do, to call out individual people who had lost children and been, you know, as a consequence, either they were interviewed on television during the the moments after or somewhere in the aftermath or going forward because they they were uh, parents that were supporting the cause of more gun safety laws in this country or started a foundation or something like that uh he mocked their sincerity mm -hmm. he, he questioned whether their children had actually been killed he uh, uh posited or at least i don't know speculated that Perhaps they were just, they were actors, that their children were actors, that none of this was real, that this was all something uh, concocted by a deep state, by a, a, a gun uh, control society of some kind, that, you know, some mysterious thing, or even right out in front of you, every gun control group that wants to take guns away is just basically manufacturing uh, a, a, an event like this, a trauma like this, where 20 kids are, are killed uh, to force legislative action. Oh, Doug Collins. That's who I was thinking mm, of earlier. Yeah. Yeah. 
the 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 congressman from Georgia. They've got yeah. the same like cattle call ability to just rattle off yeah. conspiratorial nonsense. Yeah. As opposed to Stephen King, not the writer, but the um, no, no. What's the gentleman's name from Iowa? Steve King. Steve King. Yeah, I mixed that. Not the writer, the congressman who makes the most uh, ugly, hideous uh, racial uh, attacks against uh, all kinds of black people, Hispanics, etc. But yeah, these are the different uh, leaders, if you will, the Republican Party have really brought the party down, in my humble opinion. All right, so uh, going back to Alex Jones. So he made these assertions on his show very boldly, very confidently, uh, named uh, uh, parents, and the parents responded by filing suit. Uh, and what was the nature? Talk to, explain to people what type of suits they filed. So the one, one where we had a, a touchstone to speak about the case, this particular show, uh, is like a, several others because there is individual parents who have all taken different actions and not all of them have come forward. Some have remained in anonymity, sought anonymity, and aren't even bothering with trying to sue him over it. But uh, this involved one parent who sued him in Travis County, Texas. That's where he operates outside of Austin. And the suit was over uh, li like libel, basically um, public statements of, that are untrue that damage his character. Mm -hmm for this parent now you're a, uh you're a lawyer would you have you ever ever had a, a libel case have you ever represented a client who is uh accusing someone of libeling their uh, their good name and reputation i have it's not a big part of our practice but i have i have been on the plaintiff side of a couple of those cases yeah and so what are the difficulties and challenges of a libel case well, first of all it depends on the profile of the person that you are saying has been defamed mm -hmm. So we've talked about this on this show, that there's a big difference between a public person and a private person. Uh, and I imagine that's one thing that they haven't even gotten into in these cases yet. Uh, this particular guy is Heslin, was the name of this, the, the, this particular case had to do with some uh, uh, discovery fines that were levied against Jones, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to in a second. But the, the initial challenge is if it's a person who has a public profile, uh, they are, going to be naturally subject to a lot more public commentary. So you got, there's a higher bar for whether something that's been said about them actually constitutes slander or libel. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's a private person, then it's, it's a little bit more straightforward. It's a lot easier to prove that. So that's one of the initial things you're looking at is what kind of a client is coming in the door and what kind of a public or non-public profile do they have in the first place? But um, the question is whether, you know, is the thing actually defamatory? There's a difference between opinion versus fact. Whatever the person that you're alleging defamed your client said, you've got to look at it very carefully, and you have to be able to establish that they are stating something that is false about your client, as opposed to saying he's a jerk. That's, mm -hmm. I think that's mostly an opinion, but you know, there's there, and even that can be the subject of litigation within that case. You know, whether uh, and so important distinction also. Most people don't think about this all the time. Slander is a statement, libel is a printed statement. So we're talking about libel, we're talking about publications. That's mm -hmm. another initial step that you're trying to define uh, if you're representing mm -hmm. someone. So if you're talking about a, a printed statement, then you're talking about, presumably, a publication of some kind. So then you're looking at, well, where you know, sourcing information. Where do they get, are they just printing something that someone else said? Mm -hmm. That, and then did they vet it properly? I mean, these are all, questions is it just an anonymous thing they, that they're you know who knows that's not i 
don't know if there's any journalists that ever do that, but just make something up, put quotes around it, and pretend like somebody said it when they really nobody actually did. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that would be a nefarious way to get around, you know, libel law. Uh, but those are kind of the initial things you have to figure out. What's the profile of your client? What's the nature of the statement? And what kind of place was it put in? Yeah. Well, in this particular case, uh, Jones just made stuff up. I mean, or was re- repeating stuff that other people made up. I mean, Sandy Hook happened. To say that Sandy Hook happened is like saying it's worse than saying the man didn't land on the moon. You know what I mean? There's other instances where people have said things that we all accept as reality didn't happen. And then when when people say that to you, you have to sort of wonder about their mental stability, where they're coming from. And you could say, you know what? I want to remove myself from conversation with this person because uh, they are too weird for me to deal with. All right. Uh, but in the case of Alex Jones, he's a very prominent, powerful person in his little world. He has uh, thousands, uh, if not millions of listeners, people who follow him, buy his products, uh, you know, drive the ratings of his show, make a nice living for him. He's got Donald Trump's ear. Donald Trump has extolled his virtues. Explicitly. At, explicitly. It's been on his show. Mm-hmm. His celebrities have been on his show. So he's a very prominent person. And when he gives... Uh, when he starts uh, articulating things like uh, Sandy Hook didn't happen, this is all a conspiracy, uh, then that you can't just walk away uh, from that. that. Well, and, and to that point, one of the things that the reactions to this was that he would say, among other things, that, well, this needs to be investigated. Or, I'm sorry, well, this needs to be investigated. <laughs> and this needs to be investigated. Yeah. And I'm going to investigate that. Yeah. What that was interpreted, and I don't know, I, I haven't listened to, I try not to listen to too much of his stuff. I don't know if he said to his people, go out and investigate it, but some of them interpreted it that way. So you had folks showing up in Sandy Hook who were InfoWars watchers or listeners holding cameras, you know, camera phones and, and camcorders in people's faces and trying to like, track their movements and figure out if they were real people and doing investigations. Quote, unquote, investigations. Yes, yeah. right. The c- citizen journalism, uh, which is just, you know, uh, offensive nonsense cloaked in some kind of uh, objective search for the truth, which the truth is already so clear that you really don't have to debate it here. But yeah, so it it, it influenced people's perhaps opinions about or what they might have thought about mm-hmm. this particular parent or others. Posner is another one who's had a high profile and like actually is trying to, you know, do something about gun safety as a result of his grief. Um, it actually spurred people to real dangerous action. And uh, so a suit was filed. I can't remember how long ago. I want to say a couple of years ago, but I've lost track of time. Yeah. It's uh, 2020. There's more now. than one of them too. There's so more than one of them. Uh, and uh, there was a, uh, a pretty significant ruling uh, that took place about a week ago. Tell folks about that. So one thing that happens in every civil case, you file suit against a defendant. Once you are at issue, you know, the both sides have some pleadings and so on. Then the, the one of the most important phases of any civil case is called discovery. Mm-hmm. So discovery, and particularly when you have um, an imbalance of not just power, but also substance between two sides. So when one individual is suing an entire corporation, discovery is a really important and powerful tool in that situation. You know, when it's two big companies suing each other, they got all the lawyers and all the money in the world to fight over it. But discovery is even more important in those, or the fact that you have the power to find things out is so much more important 
when it's just one guy. And in this case, you're talking about a plaintiff suing Jones, but also in the context of his publication company. I don't know if it's called Infowars, or, but that's what they do business as. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in particular, trying to find out what did he know? What kind of you know vetting process was there? What kind of information did they gather? Who did they interview? What was he basing any of these statements on? I'm sure that's all contained in discovery requests and what you can, re- the, the power that you have as a litigant in a civil case is you have the power to request with the judge's backing, if he doesn't think you're being unreasonable, I want your documents. I want the, I want the internal memos where you discussed, uh, where, where scientists were testing tobacco safety, or I want to see the source documents for what testing you've done on the effect of sugar on children, or in this case, what did what did Infowars actually do mm-hmm. between December of 2012 and the first time Alex Jones started spouting his conspiratorial nonsense on the airwaves and to his podcast and whatever other formats that it's public public publicized in? Mm-hmm. Um, what did they do? What did they have? What records? What business records do you have? Because we want to know: Did you vet any of these things? Was there a serious investigation, or would it be provable? that you knew that this was false. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the they were not very, uh, Alex Jones was not very responsive uh, to these uh, discovery requests. As, as is occasionally the case mm-hmm. in a civil litigation, uh, the defendant being sued did not want to turn over things that they were being asked for. Uh, and I mentioned a moment ago, as long as a judge agrees that you're being reasonable in your request and you're within the rules of whether it's federal or state court, this is why people hire lawyers is to know those specifics of what you can ask for. And then how do you how do you force them to turn it over when they refuse? In this case, the way you force them is you file a motion to compel. And if if they cannot come in, there's a phrase in the law called rule to show cause. If the if the person who's refusing to show things and turn things over can't come into court and explain a, a darn good reason why they are violating a court order mm-hmm. and a valid discovery request within the, a, a civil action then the judge has the power to say, okay, well, you got to pay for whatever, whether it's attorney time or expenses related to some of the requests. Again, that's really dependent on the specific rules of the, of the jurisdiction you're in. But the point is here, that fine was as a hundred thousand bucks. Yeah. I mean, it's not, that's, I don't know how substantial that is in Alex Jones's world, but that's nothing to sneeze at as far as discovery violation fines go. So, Explain this to me then. Uh, so the judge ordered that the uh, that Jones pay uh, these legal fees uh, for uh, for the plaintiff who's suing him because he ha- wasn't responding to discovery. So he had Jones can appeal that, correct? Uh, he will. He can appeal that uh, that ruling and so try to avoid having to pay the fee, uh, the fines, uh, the legal fees by appealing. But does he also still have to turn over the documents that he's? not turned over or is it is it a successful way to avoid turning over documents just by paying 100 grand well that depends so first of all i mean this order probably had several deadlines that were violated before it was entered Mm -hmm. so the court can say to him okay you you have to pay there were two separate orders sixty five thousand dollars and thirty five thousand dollars and it's another thousand dollars a week until you turn this stuff over so it could be that they just continue to rack it up whether that meter runs while you're on appeal, I think is probably subject to specific rules of the jurisdiction. Um, But ultimately, yes, you're absolutely right that he can take that up on appeal and suspend the ability of the plaintiff to get any of those documents. They call that an interlocutory appeal if they do it and it like suspends the case because as the plaintiff, as the person who's pursuing the case, 
you still need that stuff. And uh, you, you could make a strategic decision and say, well, we'll let that appeal be a parallel action while continuing with what we do have. Um, you know, there are, there's so just as one small example, there's a different presumption in the civil trial versus a criminal trial when you don't turn something over. In the United States, because of the Fifth Amendment, you have the right to remain silent and you are not compelled to, to turn things over or to make statements that could implicate mm-hmm. you in a crime. But in a civil case, at least, for example, Illinois has this presumption and virtually all civil, case, civil jurisdictions do in this country, your failure to produce something can lead to the inference that it's a bad thing for you. The jury's allowed to draw negative inferences by mm. your refusal to turn information over. In other words, the argument could be made, ladies and gentlemen, they didn't turn over any of these emails. So imagine the worst thing that you that they could have had in there, such as, well, we know these parents are really grieving, but let's screw them anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're allowed to draw that inference, ladies and gentlemen. Like that's something that does happen in civil cases. So sometimes, even after appeals, even after uh, I mean, sometimes documents are still just not turned over. I mean, w- with a lot of caveats as to the specifics of a given case, but there's at least one other remedy involved in terms of how the outcome is then later decided. Uh, at what remedy is that? The the presumption that okay, you don't want to turn it uh, over, then we can I we can you. draw these. And, they, and that came up in the in the context of the obstruction of justice, obstruction of Congress charges in impeachment because that was they explicitly said that. Yeah. You know, they made it and they try to make it very clear because, again, this is not something people commonly think about. But that was the whole point is, okay, if the president, if you refuse to turn these things over, we will we will draw these inferences the same way a civil jury. Yeah. By the way, uh, we've been doing these interviews so long. You read my mind. That was literally the next thing I was going to say. There were many (laughs) parallels uh, between what uh, Alex Jones is putting uh, the parents of the Sandy Hook parents through and what Donald Trump is putting Congress through. There are many parallels. Uh, You know, will Donald Trump says he does not have to abide uh, by requests for information that uh, Congress is making. He does not have to abide by subpoena that a certain one of his aides testify. He doesn't have to testify. Uh, And so we'll get to this in a little while, but I've said, I've been saying this a a lot on the show, Jim. I do believe that that issue, this issue of how much uh, President Trump has to comply with the request from Congress will become uh, a case of its own. They will drag on this impeachment matter for a long time because I think that the Democrats are not just going to roll over and allow him to stipulate what what he does and, you know, what he has and what he has to do uh, in this matter. No, I don't want to comply with that. And so just try me without that evidence. And I don't think uh, they're willing to concede that point. And I don't think the Sandy Hook uh, parents are willing to make the same concession to Alex Jones. Well, yeah. So drawing it back to InfoWars for a second, mm-hmm. I think that it, their purpose in filing this is not just to win a case against Alex Jones, whatever the financial gain might be, whatever that case might be worth. It absolutely is driven by their desire to expose just how craven his enterprise is. Mm-hmm. So getting this information, diving, getting behind the wall of the wall of noise of that institution to find out what's really going on, the inner workings, probably I would presume, unless they're all actually uh, clinically insane, 
exposing the cynicism that would be baked into all of the inner workings of an operation like InfoWars mm -hmm. would be the whole purpose of this. If you're trying to honor the memory of your, your child and then the keep that honor by, by looking, by targeting someone who has defamed you and your child's memory, you'd want to go expose just how, how the word is craven that yeah. operation really is. Uh, and along uh, to that point, uh, there's a deposition of Alex Jones. One of the things he could not prevent was being deposed by one of the attorneys. I don't know. I can't remember which attorney it is, but if you want to watch it yourself, folks, it was an assignment I gave poor Jim Coogan. I sent it to him and he actually watched it dutifully. Well, I don't know how much of it you watched, but uh, uh, it's a deposition. It says a lot about Alex Jones. He's being deposed by an attorney for one of the parents. Uh, and uh, if you've ever seen Alex Jones on his show, how bold he is, how defiant he is, how you know unafraid he is to, to declare whatever he wants to declare. Uh, and then you watch him in depositions, a totally different creature. He's uncertain, can't remember. Uh, if you say so, you know, he doesn't even speak in the same, uh, you know, barking way. And then there's that moment, like, and then they, he denies things. And this is something, help me out here. You've done uh, probably a lot of cross-examination and depositions what good does it do so a lawyer says to him did you not uh, go on the air and mock uh, the uh, parents and he goes no I did not and then they go well can we play this and then they play literally uh, a portion of the Alex Jones show where he's mocking uh, he you know he's mocking the parents mm -hmm. so he just said I didn't mock them then he said uh, they show him mocking what purpose does it serve? I don't understand this, Jim. Help me out here to deny something that you know that the lawyer has evidence of. I guess <clears throat> that taking that position must be the final refuge of the damned in that situation. Because, I, yes, you're so I, as an initial matter, I was impressed by the beginning of that clip because it was pretty short, actually, uh, at least the one that I, I was looking at it from mm -hmm. YouTube. Um, the beginning of it had a few questions with a setup, an answer, or a denial, and then a direct piece of evidence to contradict whatever his denial was, showing him mocking the sobbing of people and putting it in some bizarre context of, like, the cameras aren't off, and then they find out the cameras are going to come on, and all of a sudden they turn it on with classic, tr classically trained actor techniques. Yes. And, you know, he uses all this terminology and jargon to make it sound like he knows what he's talking about. Um, but... I was very impressed that, that that lawyer was clearly very well prepared, had the clips ready to go, uh, and whoever made the video even managed to superimpose like his video of InfoWars next to his face in the deposition. So that was well done. Um, the, the only thing I may not have done the same way is towards the end of it, when the, there was a, a final question where it was really conclusory, like, and isn't it true that you intended to do this and this and this? It was a little, it was more pieces than I would put into one question. I would mm -hmm. have broken it down a little bit more clearly. The reason being, when you get those denials, it's more effective, in my opinion, which I think is a learned opinion, to have them be on very small snippets of information at one time and get several denials that seem preposterous. But but besides just being like, I don't know, he had no strategy whatsoever, <laughs> or, and his lawyer couldn't come up with anything, yeah. or he has a crazy client who's just going to do whatever he's going to do anyway. Yeah. Um, there. I mean... That's just what happens yeah. sometimes. The, the the evidence might be crystal clear, and you've got it up on a board, and the person's saying that's not what we did, uh, and and tries to offer either some justification, excuse, or context that 
may 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 maybe you know this is where it comes down to if they're never going to settle that case or if they just won't admit to what they did then a finder of fact actually has to try the case this is this is why juries are a very old human construct because sometimes you've got people who just will not admit what they did and the rest of the 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 community's conscience has to sit down hear both sides and go yeah, all twelve of us can hear that yeah. you're you're absolutely nuts. We see the picture, yeah. or we we heard we heard twelve other witnesses that saw this thing happen. If you won't deny, if you won't admit it, we don't care. Our verdict is in favor of the other side. By the way, in uh, in defense of Alex Jones, words I thought I'd never come out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, his explanation was that he was not mocking the uh, parents. Uh, he, that was uh, a characterization that Jones said the lawyer put on it, that he was merely imitating the parents. But if you see the, his imitation of the parents, it was not of a person genuinely grieving. It was an exaggerated portrayal of someone pretending to crying, classic crocodile tears, mocking and making fun of. So uh, I, I don't know how that deposition in any way helps Alex Jones. And I really don't care actually. Um, but what it does do is drag out the case. And, uh, so I, I have a hunch we'll be coming back to this case, uh, Jim and then that within the next years, but it's clear that the, the Sandy hook parents are not going to give up on this. Uh, and Alex Jones is going to have to try to figure out some way to get out of this. Uh, look in general, I, I think that, there is, I don't know how successful it's going to be because we live in an age of so much disinformation, but whatever the various ways that people go about trying to fight for honesty and truth and, and trying to push disinformation peddlers out of business, I think is a good thing for American society. This would be one mechanism. And again, yeah, I mean, he's, I think, I guess he's still in business. I know he's been pushed off of some platforms because of the things that he says and because of the, the, patent dishonesty in some of the ways he reports on things or reports. I'm putting that in air quotes for yeah. everybody on pod, listening to the podcast. But, uh, you know, that that phenomenon is not limited just to Jones. It's certainly not limited uh, just to, like, crackpot media folks. I mean, it's, it's pervasive. And, you know, the, we've had other discussions about the the media in which these things exist on YouTube or in Facebook and, and how this stuff is out there. And it's... Uh, it's just corrosive guys like him, these kind of peddling in or taking advantage of people's deepest fears, selling them junk that won't actually help them with those fears or just trying to sell them on being more afraid for his personal profit. Uh, but then putting the cost onto the Mm -hmm. whole community because you got a bunch of disinformed people who are just completely twisted around and don't even know what's happening. Well, let's move on to the second name on my list that I want to talk to you about. And we've talked about him several times uh, in our interviews, and that would be Attorney General William Barr, uh, who is more or less an ally of Alex Jones, if you view it as they're all sort of part of the uh, Donald Trump movement. Uh, William Barr, there was an interesting essay in the New York Times I urge everybody to read by Caroline Fredrickson and uh, Catherine, I don't know the, uh, the other, Stewart. Well, Catherine Stewart, I couldn't read my own writing. Uh, Catherine Stewart, uh, I can't remember when it ran uh, Monday, but it was the way uh, it really got at the heart of how uh, William Barr is trying to uh, what, rewrite what uh, we mean by separation of church and state in our country. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating point. Um, this was really well, I think, contextualized because it brought in, um, it, it compared 
one interpretation of where he's at either now or even if you consider the fact that he was attorney general under George Bush the first George H.W. Bush back in, I think, 1990, or I don't, I don't know if he was his first, actually, he might've been his first attorney. No, he was replacing somebody else. Mm-hmm. So it was in the midst of that term that went from 89 through 93. Mm-hmm. Um, that being that he was unabashedly a tool of, of Republican politics and willing to disregard the norms of the office of the attorney general in service of whatever political end would benefit the right wing forces and not the, not the justice department, not the government in general and not the American people in general. Um, because, you know, back then he basically buried and helped bury the investigation into Iran Contra that was being conducted by what used to be an inspector or a, a invest, a, an independent council mm-hmm. that was investigating what the Reagan administration had done. Um, and then of course now in, in after being appointed last year, managed to, or two years ago, I guess now, I think it was 2018 when mm-hmm. he got appointed. By the spring of 2019, he preempted the Mueller report with his own letter that mischaracterized what the thing said in a very short, I mean, give him credit for doing in short sound bites so it would carry the, across the airwaves and be extremely digestible with no context, no explanation, no facts, conclusions that were surprise self-serving for for him and for the uh for trump himself Mm -hmm. so one view of william barr is that he's a political hack the other view which has been around for a while as well is that he is in service of this this notion of the unitary executive it's a generally almost universally right-wing interpretation of the constitution that says article 2 gives the president way more powers than most people have, than the general consensus has been giving credit for or allowing him to work within since the founding of the country. Mm -hmm. That article two really means that the president does not have to uh, be subject to scrutiny, be subject to oversight, uh, cooperate with Congress, or, you know, at best, we'll we'll leave it up to, to the judiciary. And I don't know, just in case it happens that, that you've got a majority on the Supreme Court, uh, you could then safely assume that any fight that went to the judiciary is also going to go your way because, at least as it's currently constructed, there's nine members of that thing and they can break any ties and, and as long as the, there's a partisan vote, you'll never lose. Mm-hmm. Um, so this article, I think, very well f- f- looked at whether or not, you know, what really drives them. Is it one? Is it one of those two things? Is he just a hack? Does he, is he just an executive, um, uh, in love with the executive branch? But what they pointed out is these are two mechanisms with which he operates, because his real drive is heavily, heavily conservative Catholic. That he that what he wants or what he's driven by and has been writing about. This is no secret. It's not like I'm just making this up. He's written letters. He's written articles about this over the years is a, a much more church-centric interpretation of the Constitution and a much more Catholic church-driven United States of America. That the laws should be in service of religion as opposed to mm-hmm. what I personally believe is the correct interpretation of the Establishment Clause of the Constitution setting forth that the Congress shall make no law establishing a religion, uh, meaning that you're supposed to have separation of church and state. To him, he's twisted that and said, well, the separation means the state can't get in church's way. And that's basically, I think, the upshot of yeah, what this, these two authors were putting together. The, 
the state can't get in the church's way. So that means like in a, a practical application uh, that the, the state can't order a Catholic hospital uh, to give abortions or to give uh, uh, to have doctors counsel women about Even, yes. the right to have abortions. So Even, silence their First Amendment right of a doctor. Yep. Yeah, uh, to, to, to shut yeah. down his religious freedom. Yes. And this this is the way to thread the needle of, well, how could a guy who's so conservative and so religious also be defending Donald Trump? I mean, you couldn't have a, a president that was more, I, I think you could probably come up with examples of violating every single one of the Ten Commandments yeah. if you tried hard enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or you wouldn't have to try very hard. You don't hard, have don't to try think. that hard, yeah. Um, what would explain that? Why would a guy like that who's, you know, been a career you know, legal guy in the Washington community and this this uh, religious zealot, why would he work for Trump? Yeah. He doesn't care about Trump. Yeah. Trump's a means to an end for him. And, Trump's a way to get back into the attorney general's office. And and one could argue it's the same is true for Trump, that uh, Barr is a means to an end for Donald Trump. And we saw this, I don't know if you paid attention to this one, we're leaving the realm of law, moving to the realm of politics, but uh, about a week or so ago, an evangelical uh, magazine published an editorial uh, calling on uh, the Congress to impeach Donald Trump for his various uh, crimes and misdemeanors regarding Ukraine, uh, which we'll get into in a little while. Christianity Today. Very good. And uh, there was an uproar from the larger uh, Republican evangelical community, including Franklin Graham, uh, the son of Billy Graham, who was one of the founders, I think, of the publication, saying that that editor editor does not speak for them, and they're with Donald Trump all the way. And then Donald Trump started denouncing uh, the the publication and saying, I've done more for for you than anyone else, which is classic Trump. and so when I when I see that Jim and I think about when and the editor lost his job, editor lost his job, right? So when I when I see that, I'm like, well, Donald Trump, who's not in any way religious, doesn't even really pretend to be religious. I don't think he goes to church. Uh, has never gone to church. Uh, used to be a supporter of uh, abortion rights. Uh, used yes, to be a Democrat until he figured out oh, his bread was buttered on this side, uh, different side. Uh, all the, Donald Trump is now saying, hey, I'm making it very difficult for women to get abortions in this country. You have to support me in everything else I do, including every war I want to wage, every military budget I want to pass, every uh, you know lie that I tell about uh, what I'm doing in Ukraine. You have to support me because I'm doing this for you uh, on uh, abortion rights. And so Barr is essentially saying, all right, in addition to that, what we want you to blow up protection between separation and of church and state. So I think it kind of works for both of them. Well, because what would I mean? Trump has no investment in whether or not there's a a, a, proper, a proper place for a secular government in America. It doesn't matter to him. I mean, <clears throat> his his re- disregard for Congress is emblematic of his disregard for all of government. Mm-hmm. He just happens to be the president. I mean, it, it's not like he believes in uh, a competently run administration to try to make people's lives better and try to deal with the fact that we all have rights and we all have to live together in this crazy country. He has no interest in any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. He did see a chance to further his profile. And then when he somehow accidentally won the presidency, he saw a chance to just continue his profile and take a bunch of stuff and just keep grabbing things off the shelves and shoving them in his pocket like he's done all his life. So if he could find a guy who would make that corrupt bargain with him, 
I mean, there's like nothing. I guess that was the purpose of Bill Barr's wacky denunciation of the uh, Mueller investigation before there was even a report. This was before he even became attorney general. Remember, he published some 20-page uh, screed about mm-hmm. why it was never should have been started. Uh, it was, you know, improperly found, no, improper foundations for the beginning of the investigation. Shouldn't have continued. Spying on the president. <clears throat> it was like in a... I don't like an application. I will be your partner in darkness. We will, we can, we can, once you meet me, you're probably going to be confused because you'll think, well, what's this religious guy want from me? Uh, I never trust those people. And then, you know, as long as they use the right code words and he realizes they're on his side, then they're cool with them. Like Franklin Graham or uh, some of these other lunatics who just, I mean, anything that they're saying in the service of Donald Trump is directly contradictory to the actual teachings of whatever, of their Christian faith. However they square that circle, I don't care. I just, that's just, there's no other way to get around that. It's just bottom line. Yeah. Well, it, it, it feeds, it's, it, it's, it's funny. It feeds a very, um, uh, the secular notion, if you will. It's, it's it, like all that matters is the outcome. So the ends uh, are justified yeah, means compl- for both of these. Right. It's pure yeah. Machiavellian yeah. politics. And I'm wondering if there will ever come a point when William Barr crosses a line and uh, Donald Trump can tolerate him no more. Uh, I can't see that because I think William Barr is smart enough to know how to play Donald Trump. He's of course he does. Yeah, he has been playing yeah. him. Uh, we we made a uh, we both laughed at our ability to laud Jeff Sessions either last show or the show <laughs> yeah. before that because of he actually yeah. tried to be at least in his mind faithful to the Constitution yeah. and his oath of office. Um, Barr does, I mean Barr isn't going to make that mistake because he had a very direct purpose in mm-hmm. mind. Sessions is just like you know a good old boy who may or may not have had some trouble if he was trying to run for re-election, but because he was on the Trump train from the start realized. Oh, gee, I'm going to be, I couldn't get confirmed as a judge 20 years ago because I was seen as a racist, but I could actually run the Justice Department. Sweet. But he didn't see through quite how cynical Trump really was. I, um, people of my generation can remember Arthur Goldberg, who gave up his uh, Supreme Court seat uh, at LBJ's request to become, uh, what was it, UN ambassador to the United Nations because uh, LBJ wanted to put up his crony from Texas, Abe Fortas, on the bench, okay? So you got to be really old to remember this. I actually have heard that story, but I did not live through it. Yeah, okay, yeah, it was way before your time. But the point is, that is the ultimate sacrifice that a uh, a politician made for a president. Right behind it is Jeff Sessions gave up his Senate seat uh, to be Donald Trump's attorney general, got mocked and maligned by Trump uh, throughout the whole process, eventually either quit or got fired. I'm not quite sure which one it was. And now guess what? He's running for that Senate seat again. Yeah, he is. He's He is. <laughs> so uh, I, I actually think that may be more pathetic than uh, Arthur Goldberg uh, when I think about it. Uh, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll be talking a lot about William Barr as time goes on. The third name, Michael Horwitz. Uh, and he, You know, before we move on, I, yeah. just, I do want to just put a coda on all that. This is extraordinarily dangerous. I know I've said that so many times, and I, I know there's like a million other people saying that in this country, but the, the level of, of exposure to the, the flesh and bone of the Constitution right now is so severe. Like, I don't think it could be overstated. Two parties that are willing to to twist the meaning of it in the service of those ends in that way is like a threat that the country hasn't faced before. Yeah. 
Absolutely. You're really, right. 240 years. We've not, we have not had a, well, we haven't had a president who was willing to, who had like literally zero interest in whether there was a, the, the integrity of the constitution, you know, give credit to Nixon. He, he resigned rather than, you know, put himself through it or, or because I think, you know, he was a, he was a legal guy. Like mm -hmm. he got, the, he understood the value of a legal system that, that if he really cared about law and order, which he was a manipulation obviously, but if he really cared about there being an, social order in this country understood that you had to have a constitution and people had to have faith in it for it to work. But this guy doesn't care. Yeah. And now he's got a guy who has a whole different agenda that has nothing to do with Absolutely. the law. And they're going to work in concert. And one's agenda is to destroy any separation between church and state so that we essentially become a religious state. And the other one is his intention is to destroy any division between Congress and uh, the White House so that the president is an emperor. Yep. And that's where we're at. America, uh, <laughs> so and, that, you know, that's what I meant by, yeah, a no, it is, time. A, it is a dangerous time and I don't, and I don't believe I had this discussion earlier today, uh, with miles Conflassen, a journalist comes in every Thursday, we were talking about climate change and miles was pointing out how important and significant an issue this is. And, uh, like the fate of our survival, uh, a very gloomy discussion because we have to address certain scientific facts one of which is the it there's an impact uh on our entire environment uh and our planet uh by our practices and that but then there's the political reality uh jim that it's it doesn't seem to be a driving issue you know we talk about you have all these scientists saying how important it is but it doesn't see have per, permeated uh, to the political discourse and it, so it barely registers well in, in the uh the polite elite political circles of washington dc it barely registers an, as an issue that they should talk about on sunday mornings yeah because they're busy both sizing everything and wasting time on you know whatever trump tweeted that week and having his people on to just spew lies yeah. like it's a it's a serious thing. The consequences are. I mean, if anything, you'd think that the business community might start to care because the insurance industry is going to be put out of business by this. How can they continue to insure properties up and down each coast with the the intensity of these storms and the rising of the sea levels? So there may I mean there may be a very unusual political coalition that could could come forth at some point and move the needle. Well, that, that. the reality. Now that's a whole other conversation for maybe the next time. Um, Waiting for the business community to rise up and defy <laughs> Donald Trump. Uh, you may be waiting a long time. Uh, I, <laughs> Look, I mean, they could appeal to him to like change the law first, I guess, would be the better way to save money. But I, I'm just saying like, it, you know, somewhere along the way, either certain sectors of the country become uninsurable. As just as one example, I, that's, that's, one that's example. just the insurance yeah. part of it. There's a there, every other sector of society is affected by it. I, I, absolutely, and uh, I remember we're in a tangent with a tangent with a tangent, but I remember <laughs> when the Obamas bought uh, property on Martha's Vineyard. Uh, it was used as a pretext by I had this conversation with Miles. I remember having just very. It was used. I get these Tea Party um, uh, emails all the time, which I love talking about. Somehow on their mailing list and. It was used as a, a a weapon to mock the whole issue of global warming. 
And they said the Obamas brought, bought this property that's uh, on the ocean in Martha's Vineyard. How can they really believe in global warming? Because they would believe that the water is going to rise up and overcome the property. Clearly, th- this is uh, evidence that they don't believe in it, and it's just this hoax. This was the argument that was made. And what Miles pointed out is that wealthy people, and the Obamas are wealthy people now, have always had an ability or always have felt they had an ability to ward off nature's encroachment. You know what I'm saying? Just mm. build a fortress that would guard your property from the waves coming over. Because, but that doesn't mean it's not, it's not an important issue. You know, but why that makes them hypocrites is a really, I, I guess there's, but I, that's because the underlying thread in any story like that is just an abject cynicism. Yes. It doesn't matter what the example is yes. of something that Obama did. Like, if he, wearing that tan suit clearly means that he doesn't care about racial injustice in this country. Like, the, it wouldn't matter what the thing is because the cynicism is so pervasive that it is an excuse to write any article yeah. or have any opinion on Fox News. Yeah. It, it doesn't even matter how preposterous. No, it is. Uh, cynicism is the right word. I would say ultimately, we've got to Alex Jones. He's the ultimate cynic. Sure, the perfect perfect callback to the first part of this show. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what he's engaged in. I'm not saying cynicism is exclusive to the right wing of, of American politics, but it's one of their, it's like a necessary tool because the messages that they're trying to send, the case that they're trying to make really doesn't make any sense yeah. unless you have such a deep cynicism and you're just trying to manipulate yeah. everyone. Well, I would, I, it's definitely not limited to the right. I've written so many articles before I started uh, doing podcasting and radio broadcasting. My exclusive interest was local politics. And I would argue that Rahm Emanuel is one of the most (laughs) cynical uh, politicians I've ever seen. Uh, The the way he would rearrange arguments to promote whatever agenda he had. So like he was saying he was helping poor people when in fact his policies were hurting poor. I'm going to close these schools so that I could put more money in the schools that are remaining and the school then one year later saying we have no money we have to cut nurses it's a, I, yeah, that, let me close these clinics because somehow that's going to help poor people yeah, in the city yeah uh and then all of a sudden there's nowhere for people to go and that's going to put more of a burden on the infrastructure that are that did already exist to take care of people who couldn't take care of themselves yeah. because they were financially dependent so i do yeah to, so i do not want anybody to walk away from this <laughs> thinking that I believe, or Jim believes, that only Republicans are cynical. But this is some serious Republican cynicism, this little game that uh, Barr and Trump are playing. All right, let's go to Mike Horowitz. Uh, Michael Horowitz is the Inspector General from the Justice Department. I had an uh, interesting discussion uh, with Attorney Leonard Goodman. I urge everybody to check that out sometime. You can find it uh, on our website. Uh, It was about a week or so ago. We uh, did a deep dive uh, with Leonard Goodman. He is more of a of leftists, I would say. Uh, he has a more of a leftist viewpoint on these issues. Uh, we were talking about the abuses that uh, Horowitz's report talks about, the whole system of uh, trying to get a warrant from FISA, a FISA warrant to uh, listen on people's conversations, et cetera, and so forth. And we have talked about this uh, at great length, Jim, over the years or months, however long it's been, about as why the case against Donald Trump began in the first place, uh, his alleged uh, uh, collusion with the Russians, uh, no collusion. Uh, I said it before Dennis could play it. Uh, and uh, so you you read uh, accounts of the Horowitz reports. What's your reaction to it? Well, 
I guess maybe we should start calling the show "Is This Cynical?" <laughs> yeah, because I mean that's that's what Barr was engaged in here as well. I mean, obviously the thread will would through any of these things is going to be that he's going to manipulate whatever's coming out of the government to serve the ends of what he needs them to serve. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, Horowitz's investigation was into whether the, the Justice Department and the FBI were doing their job properly and wh- whether there were faults with the way that they conducted their investigation into Trump's campaign. I don't know. He seems to be confused about whether he was president at the time they started this investigation <laughs> based on his maniacal tweets, but uh, he was not president until he got sworn in in 2017. And this investigation started, well, it, it's some of it's 2016, but some of it dates even earlier than that. And I think we actually had talked on a previous show about Carter Page and why he was on the radar mm-hmm. of the of CIA or the FBI, probably both before he was, uh, at least for a very brief period of time, a foreign policy advisor to Trump's crack team of foreign policy advisors on his campaign. Um, <clears throat> I will say one thing. I, I listened to the Goodman show that you guys did. I am in agreement with him that there is a serious problem with having secret courts. So, you know, whether or not I believe that this investigation would that apparently the conclusions of the investi- inspector general was that it was still valid in spite of some of the problems that that were identified um that is a comment on what the law was at the time mm-hmm. i have long had i've had a problem with fisa court since i've understood that they were a thing you know and i wasn't a lawyer i think that was brought up in maybe 2004 2003 in response to to 9 um I, I think i always thought it was kind of icky but then realized just how contradictory it is to our the precepts of criminal law in this country that you have a right to know what the government is investigating you know so secret courts means secret investigations and obviously investigations happen without the knowledge of criminal defense all the time mm-hmm. you know i think one of the things he said was you can go and get a warrant without telling the other the the defendant that he's being investigated because otherwise how would you catch anybody do any doing anything but you can't just keep on secretly surveilling them at at, you know, ad infinitum. That's the point of having to go to a judge as the neutral arbiter of whether or not this is fair. Mm-hmm. And then the whole court process is also secret. That I have a problem with all of that. But if we're talking about what Horowitz was doing here, the most egregious thing that he identified was that some of the, the applications for those FISA warrants, which again are to judges that nobody knows who they are and aren't looking at what's happening in there, uh, and unlike cr- regular criminal courts, once that's done, you know, a defense attorney could come in and say this thing was, you know, faulty. You know, they can identify the holes in a warrant when they're trying to exclude evidence in a regular criminal proceeding. That doesn't exist in FISA either. But the worst thing that happened here appears to be, and it actually kind of is a serious thing. One uh, FBI lawyer was actually falsifying information yes. that was being placed into the mm-hmm. warrant. So, you know, I think the the, the obvious question that I think uh, is answered in this, although I, I'll have to confess I didn't read the 400 pages of the report, <laughs> is would there have been a, 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 an adequate predicate to inspe- investigating Carter Page regardless of that? Uh, from a, And remember, the, in, the other important thing about this is it's not, it's not really a classic criminal investigation. It's an intelligence investigation. Mm-hmm. So whether or not, so, it's not, they're not looking into whether somebody committed a crime specifically, although that might be something that they discover. They're also looking as, as into whether, as a counterintelligence operation, is that guy either 
willfully or unwittingly being used by a foreign government to hurt us. It's a way broader thing. I mean, it's one of the complicated things about foreign policy and the power of the state is, you know, how much do you really think, how much power should the CIA really have and all the questionable things, I'm being charitable here, that they've done over the years in the service of what they thought was the American best, America's best interests. But part of the qualification to any of this is they're just looking into whether he's doing things that are costing the United States in the service of, in this case, Russia. Mm-hmm. So those were, I mean, obviously that's not okay. The, the fact that they had lie basically mm-hmm. he falsified information that was being placed in there but ultimately his recommendation is this just goes to show how much more oversight there has to be in the fisa application process and in the fbi's internal processes it clearly debunks all of the nonsensical raving lunatic conspiracies that that trump and everybody in his camp on down have been peddling since they whatever discovered this that, that this was a thing and either before and around the time Comey got fired because he's, you know, he's been crying about how his wires were tapped and uh, that's not true. Yeah. Obama was not the driver of this. It actually didn't even get to Comey until it had already started. And then he looked at it and said, okay, this should continue. And then eventually brought it to Loretta Lynch's attention. Um, so it, it was not the, the key thing here was whether or not this was politically motivated to try to help Hillary Clinton win. And I mean, going seriously, going back to cynicism, yes. only a true cynic could ever think that whatever Jim Comey was doing in 2016 was going to help Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he came out and he made a statement right before a month before the election that they were going to reopen an investigation because of something found on Anthony Weiner's wife's yeah. computer. Yeah. No, I, there's so much cynicism in all of this because we've, if we tie all, everything we've talked about together, just think about what you talked about, unitary uh, executive, the argument that uh, Barr raised going back to the days of George Bush, that the president uh, is essentially uh, all powerful and cannot be investigated. Uh, and Donald Trump, <laughs> he's arguing that his rights, his civil rights and civil liberties were, uh, were tampered with, violated by this deep state that's threatening our very existence so he's both playing off like legitimate leftist and i put myself in this camp criticism of government overreach into our civil liberties Absolutely. we've seen evidence of years and years and years going to my first one that popped into my mind when i really the whole uh uh, Black Panther murders of the Black Fred Hampton and Mark Clark, which was like a profound moment for me to realize, oh my God, there's some serious stuff. <laughs> Violations are. St-. He's using that as a cover to uh, divert attention from an investigation of whether his campaign was complicit with Putin and uh, in, in engineering uh, their campaign to defeat Hillary Clinton. Uh, and at the same time, I guarantee you. If push comes to shove, uh, he would be using the FBI and uh, the powers of the presidency in the same way. He may be using how it is right he, yeah, now. How do you know that he's not? Yes, there you go. I mean, that, well, and that's an identification of the classic. And it's not exclusively Trumpian, but he has mastered it. Uh, means of discourse, which is taking a kernel of truth and then tossing it into a tidal wave of self-serving nonsense. I mean, it's it, so you have this little idea that, yeah, you know what? 
<laughs> we could all be subject to secret FBI surveillance, and I don't like that. Yeah. And usually, it's actually right-wing people that don't care because their attitude is, if you got nothing to hide, what are you so worried about, right? That's that's your old school moral majority, silent majority, whatever that 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 thought process is. And a healthy skepticism of your own government is is a good thing. I think you should you should have that anyway. Yeah. As an informed citizen, as a person who could, you never know when the FBI could be like knocking on your door because somebody didn't, doesn't like you or whatever, or the Chicago Police Department or the Sheriff's Department or Illinois State Police or anybody. But then using that in the service of like, it, it's everything, every time he talks about how he's aggrieved and yet the guy's been given everything his whole life. I mean, it's all a piece of that mentality of his, which is, I, I have to confess, it's fascinating to keep watching, even though it's extremely tiresome. Um, but that it's it's like a perfect meshing. Once he got into politics, that that would be, wait, I, th- this I've been doing this my whole life. I could talk about that this way, that way here, and it's all BS. And it, but it starts with like a little bit, like, yeah, that's really a building, right? I really built a building. It's it's forty stories, but I'm going to tell everybody it's. 47 stories, which he literally did stuff like that. Like, <laughs> yes, it's a building, but I'm going to lie about other stuff anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's so it's perfect that this yeah. is where his uh, huckster bullshit New York real estate like psychology yeah. has gone into politics this way. And it's working very well for him. He didn't. Uh, I don't think he even knew it was direct training for it, apparently. All right. And uh, so essentially the Horowitz report uh, is being used or this whole investigation is used to continue the investigation. Barr is uh, calling for this, championing this. The investigation in the investigators. Uh, so we're going to have more investigation into what the FBI knew and what it didn't know when uh, uh, it launched this investigation into what Donald Trump's campaign and uh, Russia, et cetera. Which then the purpose is to continue to talk. I'm, d- I'm doing that yeah. paper thing that yeah. you learned from yeah. uh, Larry, that? Luchak. Larry Luchak. Very good. It's a, it's a perfect <laughs> thing to drag all the way into next yes. November. Yes. Well, that, now that, okay, yes, it's a perfect thing to uh, discredit the investigations into him to drag that into November. But, and this is where we tie it all together, I think the impeachment will be dragged into November as well. And it's just so interesting. Donald Trump is advocating for uh, unlimited investigation into what the FBI was up to. Uh, in an election that he won. By yeah, the, way. the election that he quote unquote won because he actually well, lost the popular vote. But, but yeah, it's over. He yeah, he got, he, got, he got to be the president. All right. They, so let's continue that investigation. At the same time, he is resisting any attempt to have a coherent investigation into what he did with Ukraine. In a very straightforward, prescribed impeachment process that isn't, you know, does not have any of these faults or, you know, the, the, even the civil liberty questions, none of this applies to a president, right? Like you don't even have to have a skepticism about the legitimacy of the investigators there. All the evidence is right in front of everybody. It's not even a question of like, well, did Adam Schiff really have the right to uh, see the, 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 it's not a transcript, the summary of the call. Um, he released it publicly when he found out that, his, that he got his hand caught in the cookie jar. Like they released the funds when they found when they had the notion that there was a whistleblower. Yeah. Like literally, within hours of the whistleblower being knowledge that knowledge coming to the White House, the funds were released. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there isn't any question about the, the facts of that case or whether using power that way is clearly an abuse of the president's ability to use his powers. All right. So let's close this interview by bringing out your crystal ball for 2020 uh, on the impeachment matter. And this is the the uh, the issue is how far will the Democrats uh, push Trump on uh, the issue of forcing aides to testify, releasing documents that are pertinent to the investigation? Will they allow the matter to be um, uh, adjudicated in the Senate without these documents, without this testimony? Or will they take it, uh, t- Trump, to the map, the mat, and just fight it throughout 2020 uh, to force him uh, to testify? What do you think? Well, it- you, you're, what you pointed out a minute ago is in line with your argument over the last at least couple months that uh, Democrats, House Democrats, to the extent that they have power over this, should continue to investigate and, and drag out impeachment as long as possible as a political process. Yes. Uh, because there's, an, and actually, in agreement with that. It's a David Ferris thing. Let's give Professor Ferris right. credit. You, yeah. And and I, I think you've you've endorsed that wholeheartedly. Yeah, wholeheartedly. Um, I've championed it, yeah. But you know, in fairness to that argument, there's nothing obligatory in the Constitution about when that those articles have to be delivered to the Senate. There's no time frames built into it. Uh, and we are in very uncharted territory. We've only had two Senate trials in American history. Um, you know, that that's that's all we've got to work with. Mm-hmm. So there's like no precedent you can really take from the 1800s. I think that's, everybody would just universally agree with that. And the Clinton process was so different politically, but even with the man himself, like obviously it wasn't, it was improper for him to lie about something in an under oath in a deposition, but he was still gonna follow the law, generally speaking, beyond that. And if he had been voted to be removed, he would have left. I don't think Trump would even do that. If I don't know how that would happen. Like, does some sergeant in arms have to literally arrest him? But I don't think he <laughs> yeah. would even honor that if it happened, which is where we get back to the dangerous territory of this guy. Um, so I would, I am on board with the notion that whether or not they wait to deliver these articles of impeachment uh, and then, you know, put contextualize that in the dispute over whether witnesses have to testify because now you're caught in this dumb Trumpian thing about you don't get a do-over. It's not a do-over. These are witnesses that weren't like allowed to testify or saying, well, you didn't even want, you didn't even have these witnesses in your first investigation. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's why we charged them with obstruction in Congress because they blanketly refused without any qualification or assertion of privilege to provide any of this stuff. Not a single document, not a single witness was voluntarily turned over by the white house. That's obstruction of Congress because um, they have a legitimate oversight authority. That's the, that is undisputed about from people who actually care about government, right? So I don't know if they just continue that dispute over shall Mick Mulvaney testify, uh, shall the guy, I forget his name, Barry maybe, um, the aide that actually mm-hmm. like wrote the email about wh- what are we going to do with this and this should be held in the strictest of confidence and mm-hmm. so on and then they they actually like release the stuff like he's that's clear evidence of guilt in any normal situation whether they do it in the context of that or and or they also continue some other impeachment investigations for all of 2020 into other matters uh i know look the political point i'll make is if they're worried about whether Doug Collins or anybody else from Congress, or Kellyanne Conway or the president himself are gonna scream and howl and cry about due process and a do nothing Congress 
Uh, I've got news for them. And I think Nancy Pelosi knows this. I suspect that she does because she's extremely politically uh, sophisticated. Mm-hmm. They're going to do it anyway. Absolutely. They could sit there and they could actually, hand, you know, hand Trump like a like a golden key and say, well, you know, we don't really want to be too tough on you. So can you just like just say a couple things and we'll let it go? You will hear screams and howls yep. about this being the most corrupt and unfair process in the history of the United States, no matter what. So at this point. They, they, which I think they've done. I mean, they've gone through impeachment. I think they're learning. Democrats are learning to fight a little harder and, and like actually fight instead of being capitulatists, yeah. if that's a word, yeah. capitulating all the yeah. time. Um, they need to ignore and not be governed by whatever the act, reaction is going to be from the other side. I got, I got a, here's my suggestion. Act like a plaintiff's trial lawyer. You know what happens every time I ask for anything, any witness I ask for? Ah, Coogan, what are you doing? What do you even want? I, I mean, I had a trial. We talked about it briefly on this show. Big trial. Difficult trial. 15 witnesses plus, whatever. It was a medical malpractice case. Somebody died. So at, right before trial, I went to go take a deposition of a doctor who had been involved in the care of that person when they were dying. Basically, mm-hmm. they were left, they were discharged from one hospital things fell apart overnight, they get taken to another hospital, and the doctor who sees her then is one of the people there. So therefore, he's got a foundation to talk about her actual cause of death, right? It's a limited issue in the case, because nobody's disputing that it happened, but I'm still trying to like put all my, put a full puzzle in front of the jury with all the pieces and not leave something out. Mm-hmm. Sitting there with a very, a guy who's probably tried 25 cases if I've tried one, he's in his 60s or something like that, sitting there in the deposition saying, you know, What's, you know, what's the point of this deposition? Why are you even taking this? Is taking his testimony so I could use it as in a video at trial? Yeah, <laughs> that jury ended up putting a lot of weight on the manner in which she died. Yeah. So you know he might have known that that would happen or suspected it was possible, but he's pretending like it's irrelevant. Right. Or he really thought it was a stupid strategy and, and doesn't think I know what I'm doing. Whatever it is, that's my point. I looked at him respectfully. I actually like the guy, but I'm in my head. I'm thinking. I don't care what you're saying right now. Just you're just trying to interrupt me while I'm looking at my notes. Right. You know, just 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 do what yeah. you got to do. And if your if your reaction is like, "Oh, geez, what's Trump going to say?" or "What's he going to do to the people in 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 conservative districts that he won?" You like know, Lauren in, in 2016, yeah, right? Yeah. What's he going to do to them? Mm-hmm. They got to disregard it. They, they, that is just noise. It doesn't because his screaming and his yelling and his engagement of his base will be. 2,000% no matter what he has to do to get it. Well, there are two issues that embedded in what you're saying. We'll close, and I'll close by saying this. One is a political issue, uh, and I think the Democrats have, have to realize that bipartisanship uh, in the 21st century is a myth. And that, it's, it's a punch always, in the face coming across the face. Yep. So you got you to gotta let it go. You got to let it go until the other side shows that they're willing uh, to be uh, to be part bipartisan. And then there's the legal issue. And I don't believe anybody who believes in separation of powers would want to allow Trump to get away with what he's getting away with. I Bill Clinton had to testify under oath uh, in a deposition and he did. And it. It led to his impeachment eventually. Uh, he had to present evidence. And, and so you cannot, if you believe in a separation of power, allow Donald Trump to get away with this. And you, you need, in, in contradiction of what William Barr is doing, each of them, anybody, even if there is a Republican out there who still cares about the Constitution, 
cannot concede their false interpretation of what it means. Got to hold on tight to what it actually means. Like that's their obligation at yeah. this point. They're not elected to, to this Congress. They weren't elected to do anything else in my opinion. Well, we'll see which one falls first, their dedication to the constitution or their fear of Donald Trump. I'm not quite sure where I uh, am on that one. Uh, Jim Coogan, thanks so much. And Jim, did, uh, I may be mistaken, but did you drop your first uh, curse word ever? Yes, he did. <laughs> he, let his, he let his freak flag fly. Yeah. It's, after, it's after hours. It's after yeah. five o'clock. So I think that's all right. It's a podcast. It's that was like awesome. The, uh, yeah. We've had people said much worse on this show. Oh, wait, Ben, uh, you got to well, hold on. Let's set it up here. You got to say uh, you got to ask the question again about uh, the segment. Remember, is this legal? Remember? Go. Oh. Is this legal? Oh, is this legal with Jim Coogan? All right. Yeah. <laughs> There's a setup. There's, Say another curse word, Jim. Come no, on. No, don't. That okay. would not be illegal. Okay. Uh, Jim Coogan is my guest. Uh, and that concludes another great Ben Jarofsky bonus show. Take care, everybody.